0: You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I'm your host, Alan Peterson. And today is a very different, it's the first time I'm, I'm doing this because uh, I won't be having a new episode uh, for you this week. But, uh, with today being December 7th, and it's the 80th anniversary of the uh, Pearl Harbor attack. And with today being a National Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day here in the United States, uh, which is a, an event that's held every year on December 7th, And that's when uh, Pearl Harbor survivors, veterans, and visitors from all over the world uh, come together to honor and remember the 2,403 service members and civilians who were killed during the uh, Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. A further 1,178 people were injured in the attack, which permanently sank two U.S. Navy battleships, the USS Arizona and the USS Utah, and destroyed 188 aircraft. So the events in that day in Pearl Harbor, of course, pushed the United States into the uh, Second World War. So I thought it'd be cool for me to replay my interview from uh, last year, from May of 2020, with uh, Glenn Dyer, who has a marvelous uh, historical spy thriller series, which is set during World War II. And so um, I'm bringing that uh, interview to you again uh, for this week, Uh, but just to reiterate, this is not a new interview, it's a replay for my interview with Glenn from last year for episode number 103. So with that out of the way, um, I'll be back next week with a new interview. But uh, for this week, uh, enjoy this uh, replay uh, with my, of my interview with uh, Glenn Dyer. All right, uh, take care. Yesterday,
1: December 7th,
0: 1941, a date which will live in infamy. You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast for interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 103. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting Glenn Dyer, who writes historical thrillers set during World War II. Uh, Glenn has long been fascinated with the World War II, and he used that and his passion uh, for historical thrillers uh, to begin uh, writing his uh, Connor Thorne series, The uh, Torch Betrayal was the uh, first book in that series, and The Ultra Betrayal was uh, published on uh, June 9th. I was very excited to talk to Glenn. I've been a lot fascinated with World War II myself, especially with the OSS, the uh, precursor to the CIA, uh, which uh, features prominently in his books. And so we'll be talking to Glenn about that and a whole lot more. So stay tuned for my interview with Glenn Dyer coming right up. And I'd like to ask you to please remember to rate and review this podcast wherever it is you're listening to it, wherever it is you're subscribed. It helps me get the word out by if you take some time to rate it and review it. So I appreciate you helping me get the word out about the podcast. For short notes and other interviews, make sure to check out the website at thrillerauthors.com. Okay, here is my interview with that Glenn Dyer. Hey everybody! This is uh, Alan with Meet the Thriller Author, and uh, today we are talking with uh, uh, Glenn uh, Dyer. And so happy to have him here on the podcast on Zoom. How are you doing uh, this afternoon, Glenn? I
1: am doing fine, Alan. I'm uh, very grateful. Uh, I'm and can't believe I'm actually talking to you. Uh, you've, you've had some pretty high power authors on your podcast uh, that I've enjoyed listening to, and. I'm uh, very happy, thrilled, and humbled to be amongst them. So, thanks for having me.
0: Oh, great! Well, thank you for uh, for coming on. I'm excited to talk to you. I've been uh, I told you offline before. I've been a, I was a big fan of the OSS, and we'll get into all that uh, as we get going here. But uh, I really like the the hook or of your books. But but before we get into all that, can you tell us a little bit about your background?
1: Yeah, so um, I grew up in New Jersey, and. Uh, um, Got uh, very very lucky. Uh, I picked a uh, uh, a major in college in broadcasting and film, and uh, in that particular career choice, it's very hard to get your first job. Uh, it's very important uh, to know somebody already in the business because it was was at least in the late seventies, mid to late seventies, still still a pretty small business. Cable hadn't grown to the degree it, it has to this point in time. And I was lucky enough to get a roommate in my uh, junior year in college who was already working in the, the television business and uh, uh, we became fast friends. I got to meet his friends who also worked in the business and was lucky enough to get a job right out of college. And uh, I stayed in uh, the broadcasting business for about 37 years. Uh, It moved me and my family around from Massachusetts to Utah, to Dallas-Fort Worth, to Washington, D.C., to Denver, and then back to Utah. So um, the moving was tough, but, you know, it was something you had to do in order to grow within the business. And then um, I always had an interest in writing, going back to my senior year in high school, And dabbled in it during my broadcasting career, but never worked at it on a full time basis. Was always distracted by my my career and raising a family, and and I guess I just wasn't disciplined enough uh, during those years. But when I did take an early retirement and we came back out here to Park City, Utah, it was uh, one of those moments where it was uh, put up or shut up, and uh, I decided to. uh, you know, you know, follow through and at least crank out a, a draft, a full manuscript draft of an idea that I had been working on, on and off for a number of years. And, uh, so, uh, that, that, that got things going. And, uh, I took, you know, there's so much advice out there about not just how you write a, a novel, but also, you know, the publishing business and, uh, I read early on that it would make a great deal of sense if you wrote uh, a series. One book sort of helps the sales of the next book and and so on. So I I came up with a uh, a set of characters and I based those characters during a time uh, of uh, history that I had a great interest in since uh, I was a young young kid growing up in New Jersey. And that was World War II. Figured out that uh, you know the OSS uh, had a bunch of extremely colorful characters uh, in it, uh, led by a very colorful character in uh, William Donovan. And uh, so, uh, you know, from there, uh, things kind of came together. And uh, I'm I'm about ready to release the second book in the series, and I'm currently working on the third book. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, once I paid attention to or, or worked full time at it, I was able to uh, pull things together. Although each each book is a challenge unto itself, it gets only just a little bit easier uh, with the, the next book, uh, but it, it's, it's always a challenge. So uh, <clears throat> that's sort of been my journey.
0: Yeah. I've interviewed a uh, hundred authors already at all different levels and all of them suffer about, uh, worry about that. And even no matter, even no matter the level of success, they're like worried about the imposter syndrome and uh, and all that. So I don't think it gets it easier.
1: No, I, it really doesn't. Um, uh, yeah, each, each project has its own challenges. So, mm-hmm. and for me too, um, um uh, actual the 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 writing process itself uh it isn't as challenging as the plotting uh, process for me and and uh i am an outliner and w- without an outline i i i'll just i'll keep going around in circles so i learned that lesson very very early on that i i need a pretty uh well fleshed out uh, detailed outline so Uh, That's the most challenging part for me.
0: And was The Torch Betrayal, was that the first book that that you published? That's your first one?
1: Yes, it it was. And um, I I mentioned I worked on it for a number of years. And I'm reluctant to say, but I will, that uh, I worked on it on and off for almost 20 years. Um, I I think the one uh, danger for me, and I think for a lot of people who are writing historical fiction, is... You can, you can really get immersed in the research. And uh, if it's a time period that you, you, you've always had an interest in, uh, you, you can get mired in the research. You just keep digging deeper and deeper mm-hmm. and deeper, and you, you realize, oh, my gosh, I haven't written a word in two weeks. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, that, that's the fun part of it. Uh, but but I, I've gotten more disciplined of, about that. Uh, to this, with my last book, I, I did as much research as I felt was necessary to help tell a compelling uh, and uh, believable uh, story. Um, and then, if there was something I want to go back after, you know, out of pleasure, I can always do that. So,
0: and that's the uh, the second book is coming out in June, right? That's the uh, Ultra Bet- uh, Betrayal. Yes. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about that story and tell us about the Corn, uh, Connor Thorne?
1: Yeah, so um, like the first book, um, I, I I thought it would be interesting if uh, the, the premise of, of the story for the first book, second book, and the third book was inspired by some historical event, um, you know, some mystery, some uh, questionable situation that maybe uh, the the end result wasn't uh, reported, um, and I thought that that would sort of be a nice leaping off point uh, to build a story around. So in in book one, I read about a uh, uh, a document that was uh, uh, that was going to be a part of uh, General Eisenhower's wartime diary. Uh, and this document had uh, the key directives for Operation Torch. Uh, and, the, and this document went missing during a process of microfilming. Um, and the document uh, was never found. And uh, this information was reported by uh, Eisenhower's uh, naval aide, uh, Harry Butcher. And I just thought, well, if the invasion still occurred, uh, s- something must have happened to the document that they felt secure enough about to to not postpone the invasion. So I built a story uh, about around that event. In the second book, uh, I, I came across in my research uh, a story about a, uh, a Polish uh, engineer who was Jewish, who uh, worked in a, uh, a German factory uh, that was building Enigma Uh, machines. And these machines were used to send and receive coded uh, messages from, uh, you know, the high commands down to, you know, forces in the field. Um, He uh, sold some information to the British uh, to help them figure out uh, how to break the Enigma codes. Um, He was flown when the Germans uh, were uh, uh, closing in on Paris he was flown uh, to safety in England, uh, and then as uh, soon as he arrived, uh, a couple of days later, he went missing. So this 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 engineer mathematician who had direct knowledge of uh, the the level of success of the British in breaking German codes, he goes missing and is never found. For me, that was a nice leaping off point too. So the, the story about uh, the the ultra betrayal is. Uh, Connor Thorne and uh, his uh, partner, uh, Emily Bright, are uh, eventually assigned the mission of tracking down this uh, traitor uh, before he can uh, consummate a deal with the Nazis. Uh, and and that, uh, that whole adventure takes them to uh, Stockholm, uh, Sweden. Uh, and uh, I thought that... That setting uh, was a little bit different than, you know, Paris and, you know, even Lisbon. I mean, uh, Stockholm was, uh, like Lisbon and some other uh, uh, neutral country capitals, was a real hotbed of espionage and something that not a lot of people were aware of, I felt. So I thought that was a very good setting. So I I like the idea of 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 an actual event being the inspiration for the story uh it, I, for me at least it makes it a little more uh interesting
0: yes that i, I love that stuff i like um one of my favorite books is uh, ken follett's eye of the needle which is all about the allied invasion of normandy so it kind of reminds me of these yeah, uh, yeah.
1: A, a classic uh world war ii spy book uh, probably one of the one of the top five that were ever written about that time
0: yeah so how is it the, is that a challenge for you though to uh, uh, keep it you know all the spy thriller, the action elements that the uh, thriller readers want, but then, you know, staying true to the history. how How challenging is that? Yeah,
1: you know uh, it is it's it's very challenging. Um, uh, as you know, in 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 certain genres, you have conventions that readers expect. Uh, and then when you layer on the fact that uh, the thriller takes place uh, in in a historical environment, There's certain things uh, that readers will accept um, and certain things that as soon as they stumble across them, if they're not right, they put the book down. So you you do have to be careful. Uh, The books that I write do include uh, real historical characters like uh, Bill Donovan and uh, Churchill. And uh, I throw in uh, some cameos from... People like uh, the actress Hetty Lamar and David Niven and, and, you know, you know, the words you put in their mouths have to reflect who their characters were and the type of people they were. Um, you can't really have them acting against what historically happened. You might want to, you know, massage when something happened by, you know, for dramatic purposes by maybe, you know, a few days or a week or two but you've got to be very, very careful. And, um, and, and to, you know, writers get tripped up all the time about using wrong terminology or, you know, saying somebody, you know, was riding in a car that in that particular year hadn't been introduced and you just don't want to get tripped up with things like that. So, which is why you, you, you do have to spend a good deal of time on, um, your, your research and those are things that a good, even a good editor, uh, you can't rely on them for, to, to find, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's up to you to do. So yeah, it's a challenge. And yet, uh, it, it is a little, if you like history, it's sort of thrilling writing a scene, you know, that takes place between, uh, Winston Churchill and, uh, and, uh, General Eisenhower. Uh, you know, you, you want to be true to events, but, you're also trying to write a, a, a dramatic piece of literature, so.
0: In this case, people don't know the OSS was the precursor of the CIA, um, right? And a lot of uh, like you mentioned before, that had a lot of uh, great quirky characters or strange characters. And I remember, yeah, something like the CIA. Jesus James Angleton was a big uh, uh, counterintelligence guy in the CIA, and he started in the OSS. A lot of those old guys started in the OSS. Yeah. Uh, Is that what what drew drew to you as well? And it wasn't Donovan was a Wild Bill, right? was his nickname? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) a a nickname
1: that he uh, he got from his uh, his days uh, in uh, World War One, where he was a very dynamic and successful uh, 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 leader in the army, and uh, he he happened to know uh, President Roosevelt became a. Uh, a prote- not a protege, but an almost an envoy, and uh, before the uh, United States got into the war, spent a lot of time in England uh, talking to members of British intelligence, and he, he was tasked by uh, Roosevelt to uh, go over and, and see what's going on and come back with some sort of conclusion as to whether uh, the British are going to make it through the early uh, uh, years of the war. And uh, so he did a lot of work and uh, got very cozy with a lot of people in uh, British intelligence, and uh, it convinced him that United States, who at that point in time, as as late as 1940, really didn't have uh, an aggressive uh, intelligence operation. Each, you know, the army did, you know, the navy, uh, the navy did. Uh, but uh, there, there wasn't an overall organization that coordinated uh, intelligence gathering. So uh, he convinced the FDR uh, of the need, and, uh, and uh, in a way he went. And uh, he attracted a lot, of, uh, a lot of people from Ivy League schools, a lot of people who were, uh, had very interesting uh, personalities. I think everybody has heard that you know Julia Child was a member of the OSS and Sterling Hayden, who uh, was a famous uh, actor in Hollywood, uh, had a very colorful OSS career. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of people that were in the OSS uh, who came out of the war and never spoke of their activities. But it, it, he, he attracted an eclectic group of people Uh, The British thought they were all, you know, cowboys and uh, acted uh, in an undisciplined way, couldn't keep secrets, were were impulsive and spontaneous. And uh, so a lot of those characteristics I gave to uh, my main protagonist, Connor Thorne, as a, uh, you know, a guy who acted impulsively and sometimes uh, like a bull in a china shop and He's, uh, he's been a fun character to get to know and, and to write about.
0: Do you have uh, one specific uh, historical character in mind when you were writing, uh, developing Connor, or is it from all different sorts of different people?
1: Yeah, you know, um, and actually, you know, they, they say it's good to have a, uh, a real life uh, Hollywood character uh, that sort of uh, exemplifies. Uh, your your protagonist's uh, attitude of character. So uh, you know uh, it, it has nothing to do with World War II, the OSS, but the actor Chris Pine, who uh, played a young uh, you know, Captain Kirk in the Star Wars movies, no that's Star Wars Star Trek movies, uh, you know acted very impulsively, uh, didn't follow orders, thought he knew what was right you know, did a lot of things from his gut that uh, was able to lead and convince others to follow him. I, I kind of liked that as a uh, foundation of the character. Uh, but, you know, it, uh, what I've read about the OSS, uh, uh, colorful characters were the uh, norm and uh, with, with, uh, you know, backgrounds that in some cases go back to World War One. and, um, uh, but people who just wanted to continue to serve their country, but couldn't do so in the military. So they, they raised their hand and said to Bill Donovan, you know, I'm your guy, you know, uh, I, I know how this works, uh, you know, take me on. So, uh, yeah. So I, I'd have to say that that's, he, he's probably a composite character as far as OSS agents are concerned, but you know, something, uh, uh fresh in my mind like a Chris Pine as Captain Kirk was helpful in f- figuring out what Connor would do in certain situations.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I I saw a movie a few months ago, uh, The Catcher Was a Spy. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but Mo Berg, I didn't realize he was an OSS, the baseball star.
1: Yeah. Uh, he had a really interesting uh, career uh, with the OSS, especially later in the war, when uh, things as far as the axis was concerned or or by that point in time, just Germany was looking really, really bleak. in fact, my third book does revolve around the German atomic bomb program. and uh, you know, as you remember in the movie, he was tasked with uh, contacting Werner Heisenberg, who was heading up the German atomic bomb program and to sort of ascertain just how far along the Germans were in in actually building a bomb, and uh, the, the movie was was uh, was, was pretty good. Uh, and the research I'm doing right now, uh, Heisenberg was a very interesting character uh, uh, himself.
0: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even realize he was a, a an actual. Uh, person i just i don't know if you're familiar with that tv show breaking bad but that's uh walter white uses that as an alias heisenberg and uh, it was based oh, on, what? on that guy watched, i haven't watched all
1: seasons and i've only watched a handful of episodes but i i did not know that
0: yeah um, it's like his favorite uh, chemist <laughs> was <laughs> heisenberg <laughs> that's interesting yeah. That's funny. yeah um so uh so what's your writing process like then once you're got you're ready to sit down and start writing can you Kind of walk us through just uh, I know it's hard to say what's your a, a, a regular uh, writing day like but what's it like
1: <laughs> well um, I as I said I, I I'm definitely a, a plotter and so I, I need to have that that's pretty solid outline and um, like Lee Goldberg said one of your previous guests he's he outlines doesn't go crazy with the length of the outline but he, uh, he, he has a living outline and I think that's really smart to have because once you get into the story, you realize, okay, it works, but maybe not as good as I wanted it to. Maybe I need to go back in and tweak my outline. So, it, it for me, it starts with uh, a solid outline. But but even before that, like I said, I I like to find a piece of history that you know could present as a part of a premise, a, a good what if, and uh, um, if I can find that that event, you know, that somebody might be interested in what the answer is or how something got solved. Uh, Then I work on the outline, add as much research into it as I think I need to start the writing process. And then for me, like I said, the writing, um, you you know, I'll, I have good days. I have bad days. And uh, um, you try to stick with it when you're having a really good day, when things are flowing and not just, not just from a word count standpoint, but, that the words you're writing just really feel good. And uh, uh, you, you, you just feel like you're in a zone. So I, I don't, uh, I don't have a word count goal on a daily basis. Uh, I don't feel like um, I don't, I'm one of the types who doesn't want to force the issue If one day just doesn't feel right. Maybe what I do on that day is do some book marketing, some outreach, uh you know take a look at you know what i can do with social media that i hadn't done in a while uh you know all those necessary evils so yeah i i try to be uh i i try to be a little forgiving as far as you know how much i do and how how often i do it but once i have my outline i definitely want to uh keep momentum going uh, to the best of my ability and just to get that first really crappy uh, first draft done. And then I take a little bit of a break, maybe a couple of weeks, let it percolate a little bit. And um, and then uh, and then go back and, and probably before I send anything to an editor, I'll probably do two or three more drafts. Um, I, I just started with my second book, sending my outline out before I started to write just to see if I was on the right track. And, and that, that saves some time and I'll, I definitely will continue to do that.
0: Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Send the outline to an editor or.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh. you know, developmental editor, just as, mm. just to see if, um, you know, uh, listen, there's still so much to learn about the yeah. writing process and, and I admit that I'm a novice. I'm still learning a lot. And, um, you know, I'm definitely smart enough to listen to advice. And if I'm missing some big elements, if my subplots just aren't working or getting in the way, if my, uh, if my main antagonist isn't, isn't bad enough or if I haven't clearly stated what their goals are, I mean, you know, I, I think it saves a lot of time. So, uh, it, it and and that helps keep the writing uh, momentum going too. When you're not stopping down often to, you know, s- ask yourself the question, you know, is my antagonist mean enough? Well, it's already been asked. It's already been answered. So.
0: Yeah, and what uh, what tools do you use to uh, to write your your stories? You use like Word or another writing processor?
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. So I have to admit that I have uh, I have owned Scrivener for uh, maybe six years. <laughs> And, um, every time I hear an author say they can't live without it, you know, like, you know, Joanna Penn, I, 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 then go back and try to get my head back into it. And each time I do, I get a little further along, but, um, I still find it, um, really, um, complicated and, uh, you know, I'm pretty good technically, but again, still learning a lot. Uh, so in the meantime, what I what I typically do is work right uh, write in Word, uh, which is it can be cumbersome, especially when you st- want to start moving uh, scenes and chapters around. There's you know a lot of uh, you know cutting, copying, and pasting, and that can get kind of old. So um, once uh, once I get this outline for book three done, uh, I think uh, I'm going to spend a good couple of weeks with Scrivener to see if I can't. Uh, uh, you know get get the most out of it for this next book um i i'm again going to give it another whack and we'll see what happens
0: yeah i think uh, i had yeah i think i had for, for several years too before i, f- I finally clicked together cuz yeah it's at first it can be a little overwhelming
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, but uh but you know the the new release uh, i've taken some uh, tutorials uh does seem to offer up a lot of uh baked in tools that that I think help uh, help writers pull
0: manuscripts together. Yeah. So were you a fan of the the spy thrillers, like thrillers in, in general uh, as a reader before you started to uh, write your own books?
1: Yeah, I, I think I've read a great deal of World War II f- historical fiction. Um, I, I have read a, a ton of W.E.B. Griffin books. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got, you know, a couple of series based in World War II, but you know, other series based on, uh, uh, you know, uh, Vietnam and CIA and so on. Um, I, I think that one of the, f- the first books that I read that uh, I, I just got so interested in was uh, uh, Herman Woke's book, The um, Winds of War and War and Remembrance. I think, you know, he he evoked, you know, the, the, the setting of before the United States got into the war, but what people living in Italy before the war started, but what life was like. And one of the things that interested me about World War II is that it was such a catastrophic, tumultuous event that impacted so, so many people, either directly or indirectly. Uh, you know, unfortunately, much like the the COVID crisis is doing right now, uh, with with you know, gratefully not as much loss of life, but um, the fact that uh, it, it was in some ways a romantic time, uh, a time that people harken back to as you know the, the good old days, even though there was a lot of uh, terror attached to it. But you know, some of those books for me evoked a time that I I could, you know, can immerse myself in and sort of get lost in. And, uh, and uh, I think for a long time, I always wanted to write a book that could take somebody back and make them really feel what it was like uh, to, to live through, you know, that, that period of time of uncertainty of great loss of deprivation. Uh, You know, you know, it just, uh, it just still boggles my mind the the amount of countries, the the loss of life, the amount of destruction. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I've read a, a lot of books and uh, uh, both. Uh, and by the way, not, not just fiction, but nonfiction, too. There's some some great books out there uh, that really get down into the weeds as far as uh, what happened and why things happened and
0: uh, and so on. So. Yeah, I think that's great, too, that you're keeping up the that history alive, because I would imagine that, I believe, most of the, what was that now? So we were talking about 70, 80 years ago that this happened, and I'm sure yep. a lot of the OSS agents are are probably not having, are starting to die off now, probably not too many of them left yep. now.
1: You're right. Um, you're right. When I, one of the things uh, that I do, and I, I sort of uh, have taken this uh cue from uh, Steve Berry, who, who writes the Cotton Malone series. Uh, His books are deeply immersed in, in historical phenomena and events and uh, things, uh, historical mysteries. And one of the things that he does besides writing great thrillers is uh, at, at the back uh, of his book, he'll, he'll explain things, the historical background of certain things, what was real what he might have played with dramatically <clears throat> excuse me and um I, I learn a lot from that section uh his author notes and i I've, I've done that with uh my first two books and just to let people know you know where did i play with things dramatically um maybe going into greater detail about something i mentioned briefly in the book giving uh you know readers uh, you know titles of books I used in my research that if they were interested, might want to go back and read about. Um, and I think that, uh, I'd like to think that's helpful, uh, in keeping uh, the history of that event fresh for people.
0: Yeah, and I also notice you got a great blurb from uh, Steve very Yeah. Uh, on um, book. Uh, book one and book two.
1: And I got a. Uh, I was very pleased to get a really nice blurb from, uh, Jack Carr, who's, a uh, Who's pretty uh, pretty hot right now as a uh, thriller writer. His third book was uh, just became a bestseller, uh, a New York Times bestseller. So uh, really pleased that he liked what he read. So
0: so uh, so what's next then for you? You say you're working on the third book. What's next for you and uh, Connor?
1: Yeah, you know. So um, as I said, I was uh, I've been doing research on the German atomic program, uh, but it that. That the idea uh, germinated from some uh, piece of research that I stumbled upon. Uh, there was an Italian physicist who was apparently an ex- extremely brilliant theoretician who, uh, in 1938, uh, went missing, and uh, his his body uh, it was never found. Uh, A lot of people think he was, he attempted suicide while uh, on a ship going from uh, uh, Palermo to Naples. And um, so he disappeared. And uh, uh, speaking of uh, Werner Heisenberg, uh, the two of them were very, very close friends. So I'm going to build a story about uh, what happened to this Italian physicist. uh, And it will involve Heisenberg and the Germans needing some help with their program and uh, discovering that that uh, this is, uh, physicist uh, is is still alive, and um, uh, I think uh, I'm going to have him hiding in a monastery somewhere. So, you know, Connor, you know, OSS finds out about it, and Connor is uh, put in charge of uh, tracking down uh, the uh, physicist before the Germans can, and it's sort of a race against the clock. Um, so, um, uh, I've been doing a lot of research on the physicist. His, his name is Ettore Majorana, And he, uh, even Enrico Fermi said he was, uh, uh as brilliant as Galileo and Newton. So, uh, mm. he was, he was quite an interesting, uh, man. So that, that's what I'm doing, uh, researching right now and hope to be deep in the reading, uh, writing process, uh, in, Maybe another uh, four weeks, so we'll see.
0: Awesome. And so the second book, the uh, uh, Ultra betrayal that's out in June right.
1: June 9th, uh, it's uh, available for pre-order uh, right now uh, and uh, but uh, but yeah, June 9th, I'm a few months behind because the edit process took a little longer than uh, I anticipated, but uh, you know finally the, the the dates around the corner.
0: Great. Yeah, look, looking forward to it. And uh, so before I let you go, I always ask uh, my guests uh, any uh, advice for aspiring writers that are uh, watching or listening to this.
1: Well, first of all, I would say uh, if you harbor a desire to write a novel, don't wait until you're, you know, 60 years old like I was. <laughs> uh, it doesn't give you much, uh, you know, uh, uh, time to, you know, crank out a 10, 10 book series. Um but I uh, I think the, the one big piece of that advice is that th- there's a lot to learn, n- not just about uh, you know writing uh, or marketing or just a publishing business in general, but you, you need to reach out for help. Uh, it may cost you something, but I think uh, if uh, if you're really serious about writing, you, you've got to invest in yourself and I think finding that, that editor you really like and work well with finding a, a, a book cover designer who really uh, knows their stuff and that you also work well with Uh, the, you know, you'll benefit from that on a long-term basis. So, you know, uh, seeking advice, even if you have to pay for it. And, um, and, you know, if you, if you're serious about it, you got to get busy. You got to be more disciplined than I was. So
0: I think those are the two big pieces of advice. Great. That's great advice. And then uh, people can find you at the, your website, glendyer.net. Is that the best that's place? That's it.
1: And, um, yeah, uh, you know, the, the website's a, a constant uh, uh, project and development. But, yeah, that, that's a good place to get me. And uh, you could also reach me direct on author at gmail.com. So both work well.
0: Okay, great. All right, Glenn, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Really enjoyed talking with you. Alan, thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Meet the Thriller Author. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with one of your favorite writers of mysteries and thrillers. Or if this episode's guest is new to you, I hope you give their books a chance. Helping listeners discover new authors and books is one of the coolest outcomes of doing this podcast. As always, you can head over to thrillerauthors.com to sign up to my Thrilling Reads email list. That way you won't miss out on any great deals in thriller and mystery books. You can also check out all the links and resources in the show notes for this episode over at thrillerauthors.com And also please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already and leave a rating and review wherever it is that you're listening to this uh, show. If you have done that already, I thank you. Uh, I really do appreciate your support. For my other links to my author website, social media haunts, and more uh, check out thrillingweeds.com forward slash links all my links will be uh, on that uh, page so that's it for this episode uh, see you next time and stay safe out there